happy Easter morning. Amen? You know, the resurrection is one of those things that's, uh, it's the, somebody has called it the linchpin of Christianity. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, if Christ hasn't been raised, then we are still in our sins and we are to be the most miserable of all. We have real problems if Christ has not been raised from the dead. Uh, this morning, I want to talk to you about why I believe in the resurrection. And I want to give you three good reasons why I think, because I think Christianity is a rational faith. It's not something that uh, people believe in a sense that are kind of out of it, out there, or just not very well educated. It's a very rational faith, and it makes a whole lot of sense. And so I want to give you three reasons why I believe the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is really strong. The first one is because there's so much historical evidence. There's a ton of historical evidence uh, for Jesus and the resurrection. Let me read you a quote. The view that Jesus existed is held by virtually every historical expert on the planet. That's a quote from a person who's an agnostic, who is a, a, a history scholar, Bart Ehrman. Uh, he is saying that, that, that nobody denies that Jesus existed. So what about, the, what about the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus? Do we have any evidence there? Well, most scholars believe that the Gospel of Mark, which they, they believe is the earliest gospel, was probably written around A.D. 65. That's about uh, 30 years after Jesus' death. So within 30 years, we have a gospel written. And they believe that Matthew and Luke were written about 10 years after that. So these are very contemporary accounts of that thing. And in fact, when you read through the resurrection of Jesus, uh, the first thing you see is there's no body in the tomb. They go there the first in the, the morning on Sunday morning. The, the women go there, and there's no body there. And, you know, if they had a body, you know they would have produced it. In fact, the religious leaders told Pilate, they said, we need to put a guard on the tomb because we're afraid the disciples are going to uh, steal the body and kind of fake a resurrection. So Pilate says, well, you have a guard. And he put, you know, not just a guard, you know, it wasn't like Schultz, who was like a guard, you know, like a lot of people, all right? And so, uh, so the, next, the next morning when the women got there, the, the, the tomb was empty. But there's a lot of witnesses. Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, and he wrote this around A.D. 52, again, around 30 years after the life of Christ. And here's what he says. He says, I passed on to you what was most important. And what had also been passed on to me, that Christ died for our sins, just as the Scripture says. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the Scripture said. Now notice what he says here. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive. You see what Peter, what Paul is saying is, that Jesus was alive and he appeared to hundreds of people and basically Paul's saying and most of them are still alive today. They experienced the resurrected Jesus. But not only that, some of, the, some of the witnesses, as I mentioned, are women. And you say, well, why is that significant? Well, it's interesting. In that day, women had very little respect. They were not very high in the social uh, ladder. And they were uh, not credible. In fact, in court, you, women could not be witnesses in court. So you would say, okay, th so if we were going to pose this, if we were going to fake the resurrection, who would we have go to the tomb? It wouldn't be women. 
would be men. Now, I'm not, just, I'm not talking about men and women in our culture. Don't get caught up in all that. I'm talking about back then, in that culture, who were the first witnesses? The women. And the reason is because the gospel isn't making it up. It's telling it like it is. It's telling it like it is. In fact, let me read you account uh, account of that. This is Mark 16. Saturday evening when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, Salome, uh, went out to purchase a burial uh, spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Very early on Sunday morning, just as sunrise, went, they went to the tomb. On the way, they were asking each other, well, who's going to roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? But as they arrived, they looked up and they saw the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled away. And you read the other gospel accounts and they're interacting with an angel. And so, and then they run back and they tell Peter and John and they run to the tomb and they, they, they see it. Kind of really don't know what to make of all of it. But they were the first witnesses. So this wasn't made up. Um, the third thing is, when you look at the dramatic change in the followers of, of Jesus, where were the disciples at the resurrection? They were cowering. They were afraid. They were terrified. They were shut up probably in the same upper room where they celebrated the Last Supper. And, and all of a sudden, they changed. If you read uh, the book of Acts chapter 4, it says this. Uh, this so what's going on here? The context, Peter and John are out preaching, and the religious leaders bring them in and say, you've got to stop. Don't do that anymore. And so they're discussing what to do with Peter and John while they're in a prison. And this is what they say. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. And the question is, what caused the change from going from cowards to being bold witnesses? What caused many people, many of these men who were poor, they were few, and they were marginal? These disciples of Jesus developed a new confidence and a fearlessness that enabled them to spread the gospel to the point today that we celebrate the resurrection because of their witness and their words. You know, what, what changed them? Well, it was the Holy Spirit within them and the power of seeing the resurrected Jesus Christ. They saw him. They touched him. Remember Thomas? He doubted after the resurrection. He says, unless I put my fingers in his hand and, you know, into his side, I will not believe. And Jesus is there. Okay, go ahead. No, I want, you know, I, no, that's okay. I'm good, you know. That's Thomas, right? And, and so... We have these witnesses, and they're reliable historical witnesses. Many of these witnesses were willing to gladly give their lives, and they did give their lives as martyrs. Many of them were crucified and killed because of their faith. They, they changed. The change can only be attributed to they saw the resurrected Jesus Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit was within them. So I think the historical reasons, and I just gave you a few. There's many, many more. There's a great, if you want to believe, there's a good reason. You don't have to check your mind, at the door, your brain at the door. You can believe and be an intelligent person because there's a lot of witnesses, a lot of historical witnesses. The second reason why I think I believe in the resurrection is because it makes the most sense of life. What do I mean by that? Uh, you know, every one of us in this room has a worldview. We all 
kind of have this system of what we believe about the world and where we're going and what's happening and what's right and what's wrong. It's kind of a worldview. Every one of us has a worldview. We kind of make it up as we go along. Some were influenced by our parents. Some were influenced by teachers and friends. Some buy books we read. But we have this worldview that we carry with us. And I believe Christianity has the most lucid, solid, thoughtful worldview that you could, you could ever carry. What do I mean? Uh, like, for instance, in origins, where do we come from? One of the questions we generally wonder about is where, where, where do we come from? And I heard this story about a little girl, and she was kind of wondering where she came from. And she went to her dad, and she says, Dad, where do we come from? Dad says, well, we came from monkeys and apes, and uh, we evolved from, from, uh, the, from them, and, and basically that's where we came from. And she says, so we came from monkeys and apes. And she, he says, yeah, that's right. So she was kind of troubled by this, and so she went to her mom later that day, and she said, Mom, where did we come from? And, and she said, well, honey, we, we, God placed Adam and Eve in the garden, and, and they, of course they had children, and many, many generations later, you know, they, you know we, we came. So it was from Adam and Eve. And she says, oh, so we came from Adam and Eve. She, and, and, you know, and uh, Mom said, yeah, that's right. She says, all right, I really am confused now, Mom. She says, I asked Dad about that, and he said we came from monkeys and apes, and you're saying that we came from Adam and Eve. She says, oh, dear, I understand. She says, your dad was talking about his side of the family. Now, the Bible t not only tells us where we come from, it tells us a little bit about the world we live in. It says this is, this is a fallen world, that there is evil, there is pain, there's suffering, there's sickness, there's death. That's part of life. You know, we'd love to say, I wish it weren't so, but it is. And so what do we do? Secondly, the Bible tells us about our purpose in life. Why am I here? What's my purpose? You know, am I an accident or not? And uh, the question is, should I only live for myself or should I live for others? What, what should I do? It, Paul says something in, in uh, Ephesians that's quite amazing. He says this, we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for long ago. Do you know what's amazing? It makes sense that if God created us in his image, and that we're his masterpieces, then we ought to go to our creator to find out what our purpose in life is. But how many of us are really doing that? Saying, God, what is your will for my life? Instead of saying, well, I decide I want to do this or that. It seems to me as we connect with our creator, we find our purpose. You know, another one uh, that the uh, uh, worldview that the Bible speaks to is ethics. Uh, what should I do? What is right? What is wrong? Does it matter if I do this when somebody's watching or not watching? You know, many people are more likely to steal or do something when they know no one is watching and they will never get caught. But you know what? If you believe the Bible, the Bible says there, there's always somebody watching. There's always somebody who cares that your decisions and your words really matter to him and so that affects my ethics how I behave what I say whether I tell the truth whether I'm a person of integrity or not the Bible speaks to that the Bible also speaks to and this is the one really where Easter speaks to is where am I going you know really there's virtually three views of where we're going in life and all the religions of the world are kind of rolled up into this 
The first one is, you live and you die and you're done. And that's the view of materialism. That's the view of many people in this world today who say, if I can't touch it with my, or sense it with any of my senses, it's not there. There is no spiritual world. Uh, I, you live and you die and you're done. And all your memories and all your relationships die when you die. It's over. The second view is kind of the opposite. It's, it's spiritualism and it says you live and you die and you recycle. You go back into the energy, your soul goes back into the energy of the universe. The Greeks used to say that the body is the prison of the soul. And death releases the soul back into the universe. And the universe is this God, whatever it is. And so we're really God. And, and so we recycle from one life form to another. It may be a branch of a tree. It may be a, a cow in India. It may be, uh, it could, maybe, you know, in America we believe in reincarnation. We really don't hold the transmigration. Uh, and I don't have time to go into the difference. But essentially that we reincarnate as a different, reincarnate as a different person. But here's, here's the point. You live and you die and you recycle, but you forget every, all, all your friends, all your neighbors, all your family members. You, you just start over with no memories from scratch. Whatever life you did here doesn't really matter. Then there's the Christian view. And this is why this, this day, the resurrection of Christ is so important. Because what the, it, one view says you live and you die and you're done. One says you live and you die and you recycle. One stresses materialism one stresses spiritualism christianity says you live and you die and then you really live but you don't just really live you resurrect all your memories are intact all your relationships are intact your life how you live now matters forever and you have a resurrected body now if you were laying on the deathbed and somebody was going to come in which view would you want them to share with you which one really gives hope? You see, that's the point. Christianity and the resurrection gives us hope. And that's what I want to move on. So, so there's historical, there's a whole bunch of historical witnesses. That's why I believe in the resurrection. Secondly, because it makes more sense of this life and the next. It gives, it gives an, and then the third one is, it gives us hope. Give, if, if you do anything today, I hope you leave this room with hope. I hope you re leave this room with hope. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 2.9. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. Think of the best thing you could ever possibly imagine about life after death in heaven, and you will be far, far, far short of what that could be. You can't imagine it. Beyond your capability. It will blow your mind. But the best part is that loving relationships continue in heaven. See, that's what every one of us wants. We want to be connected with other people and have own honest, open, transparent, loving, caring relationships. That's what every one of us wants. But every human relationship fails for for that reason, because we're all kind of flawed and failures and to a certain extent and sinful. Why, why is Facebook so popular? Why do so many people get on Facebook? Is it because we want to look at what you're about to eat in this restaurant or what you made in the kitchen? No, we don't care. And stop putting those on Facebook. 
<laughs> I had to say that. <laughs> uh, is it because you, we love your little rants about politics or whatever else? No, we don't care about that either. Really, I think what we want to do is say, how are they doing? What's going on with them? How, we want to connect. We want to connect with one another. And Facebook is a po- opportunity for that. But what the resurrection is, the resurrection means that we will not only continue in heaven, but we will come to life in heaven in new, in new and more powerful ways than we could ever imagine. There's going to be a new depth to our relationships. There's going to be no need to hide. The hope of heaven means that you will not simply get your life back, but you will get the life that you always dreamed of. That's what heaven's all about. The, lo- the life you've always longed for, but you were never able to achieve, is yours in heaven because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the hope that we're talking about today. That's why today is so incredibly important. Because as Jesus rose, one day we will rise if we place our trust in him. See, if Jesus was really raised from the dead, if he really is the son of God and you're believing him, all these things that you long for most will come true at last. Do you remember, uh, you probably have studied it and looked at it, the slavery in the South. The slaves would sing the spiritual, the Negro spiritual. And I want to read you the words of the of one spiritual. It's called Steal Away. My Lord calls me. He calls me by the thunder. The trumpets sound within my soul. I ain't got long to stay here. Green trees are bending. Poor sinners stand a-trembling. Trumpet sound within my soul. I ain't got long to stay here. Tombstones are bursting. Poor sinners standing, stands a-trembling. The trumpet sounds within my soul. I ain't got long to stay. Steal away. Steal away. Steal away to Jesus. Steal away. Steal away home. I ain't got long to stay here. What did these slaves have? Did they believe that they would be set free one day? Most of them probably didn't. Their hope was in heaven. And they could live joyful lives even though they were slaves here on earth because they knew the ultimate freedom was coming. It brought them hope in dark times. We'll do the same for you and me today. Will you be transformed by the resurrection? Tim Keller used a great illustration, and I want to kind of use it right now. Imagine that you're a 10-year-old girl, and uh, that you met a, t- a 10-year-old girl, and uh, she's beautiful, she's intelligent, uh, she's, uh, and you meet her at 10 years old. But then at, you, it's been a number of years, and at 25 you meet her, and not only is she... she you, you, you almost don't recognize her because she's changed physically. But also, as you talk with her and as you meet her, you see her as a beautiful, intelligent woman at 25. And you no longer recognize her at first, but it's clear that it's still her. And he says this, Our future glorified selves will, conti- will be a continuous, continuous with who we are now 
but the growth into wisdom, goodness, and power will be infinitely greater. You right now are seeing versions of yourselves that are going to be looked at in heaven as very, very different. Heaven is going to be a place of growth, a place of friendship, a place of relationship, where what you do now matters for the future. Somebody is watching. Somebody does care. From his Nazi prison cell awaiting the execution for plotting against Hitler, Diedrich Bonhoeffer was able to call to, to death called the death of a Christian, the supreme festival on the road to freedom. It's an odd phrase, but it's a phrase of somebody who has hope for the future life because of the resurrection. Evangelist D.L. Moody was a, a pastor and did a lot, a lot of crusades. He was like the Billy Graham before Billy Graham a number of years ago. He started in Chicago, and this is what uh, he said. Someday you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? At that moment, I will be more alive than I ever have been. That's the hope for the believer. That's the hope for you. That's the hope for me. Easter is a time of hope. When you place your trust and faith in Christ, you will find a hope that transcends this world and goes into the next. You will find somebody who walks with you in those dark valleys. You will find everything that you need, a worldview. You will find everything that you need as you call upon Jesus. Easter says this, because he rose one day, so will Father, you are so good to us, and we don't deserve it. But we love you because you first loved us. We thank you for sending Jesus, the rescue party of one, who came from heaven to earth. He who knew no sin became sin for us, and he climbed up on a cross, and he gave his life for us. I pray, Father, that this Easter, that those who may be on a, in a place of not on the fence and maybe have never made a decision, maybe today would step across that line of faith and maybe pray something like this. Dear Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. I desperately need a Savior. I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. But more than that, I need your power in my life. I need your help. And I cry out to you for help. And I ask you to come into my life to save me. Father, maybe there are some here that have walked away. Today is the day they turn around and come back like the prodigal son. And thank you that you are the Father that's always ready to welcome them back. Maybe there's some here today, Father, that you've been speaking into their heart that today is the day they need to make a decision to do something, to change something. And today is the day that they've decided to do that. Father, whatever decision people make today, we pray that your spirit would move in hearts all the ways that this Easter we would see a transformation that changes in each and every one of our hearts. For we pray it all in Jesus.